passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Rewind a Raw. It's John Pollock and Waiting coming at you on this Monday night. How are you, Way? Doing all right, John. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing well. It's uh, it's another day. It's show number two for us. Have you missed me? Of course. Yes, of course. Yeah. It is our second show. We just talked about today's G1 show, uh, an A-block show featuring Kota Ibushi versus Will Ospreay, Okada versus Minoru Suzuki. And I don't know if you would still feel this way, John, but potentially a show-stealing performance from Tai Chi. I think that that would be accurate, as will our discussion of the continuing story that you and I have completely just dove into headfirst, and that is Okada's love letter to the Rainmaker that continues to be the story of the tournament through our interpretation solely. Oh, I think so. I think if the if the wrestling thing doesn't work out, you and I have a future in um you know Harlequin novels. Um and this is our way of, of of trying that out. I mean, it really I think it I think he they're doing I, I really feel like we're on to something, you know? Yes. I'm waiting for all of this to be explained just as you and I have put it, and there was quite the twist today with Okada and Minoru Suzuki. So you can catch that show along with all nine of our G1 Climax podcasts up on the Post Wrestling Cafe, where we've got one down this week with five more coming your way before Sunday. So a lot of G1 Climax content up on the cafe. Yeah, uh, really, uh, we're we're releasing even more than that this week on the on the cafe because we got our Rocky Three review coming out tomorrow, and then of course we're winding SmackDown. So pretty That's much right. every day, bonus shows every single day, Monday to Sunday. Yeah, You're getting your money's worth for the cafe this month. Uh, the Rocky Three review will be out Tuesday night. And then Friday, it'll be a big edition of SmackDown with the draft and a pretty loaded up show that they have uh, match wise as well. So we will be live 10, 15 Eastern time. As soon as the draft is over and you're screaming, asking why the hell did they do that? Flip on over to us and we'll explain uh, through the miracle of blank we won't we won't share where we are meeting because i don't know if that's a public non-cafe knowledge oh sure it is it's oh we're we're gonna be on zoom yeah okay exclusively so live you got to tune in live if you want to join the phone call yeah we jump brands officially on friday so we we are exclusive to zoom yes all right so look out for that uh 
All of our other shows, uh, we've got uh, the Takeover Review up from Sunday night with Braden and Davey. And we also have the long and winding Royal Road that WH Park did with Hasami chatting about the whole life and career of Mitsuhara Masawa. And then this week, up next in Dynamite on Wednesday, we've got the British Wrestling Experience returning on Thursday for a big update in the world of uh, UK wrestling news. And then we go into the weekend. So it's a packed one, as always. I was putting the schedule together this morning. My goodness, a lot of shows this week, but I know that everyone... Just can't wait for more. So we're going to give you more this week. More, more, more. Something for everybody, whether you're into Japanese wrestling, when you're, whether you're into 90s Japanese wrestling. Great job again to WH and Hasami for, for their show. Whether you're into NXT, you know, our friends at Up Next have uh, done a great job with the watch along last night, as well as their review of TakeOver, which is up there on both our free feed as well as their free feed right now. So uh, no matter what your tastes are, there's something there for you. All right. So uh, go check out all of that stuff. And uh, we wanted to start off the show uh, discussing two uh, GoFundMe fundraisers that are going on right now. Uh, the first of which, um, uh, way you, you made um, mention of this uh, earlier in the day, and this is how I found out about it. But a really a tragic story involving uh, one of our listeners, uh, Jamel, who lives in Texas and sadly uh, lost his seven-year-old child uh, just two weeks ago. Uh, it was a terrible car accident. Uh, the child's mother as well passed away, uh, as well as another child. Um, you, you kind of uh, wrote about this uh, on Twitter today. It's just a really heartbreaking story. And they've put up a, a GoFundMe campaign just to raise funds for the, the burial costs. And as well, there were two other children involved in this car accident um, who suffered severe injuries as well. If you go search for Lucy Elbert, that is the... Uh, family member that has put together this campaign and you'll see the title that shows up there memorial of seven-year-old carlton that you can click on but um yeah it's a really really heartbreaking story so if you have the means to do so uh we'd encourage you to be able to uh, donate something here as this family is going through um obviously uh, a horrific ordeal uh with the loss of family members yeah, um, you know, on, on behalf of Jamel, I, I, I'd love to thank anybody who found it through us and has already donated so far. Um, many of you incredibly generous, uh, but even, I, you know, I'm sure he would tell you uh, just taking the time to read uh, about the story um, uh, it would be much appreciated. But but a share, um, you know, and, and, and a pledge of anything that, that uh, might um, be comfortable for you, I, I think would really help them out. So. Uh, yeah, uh, I have that posted on, on my, uh, Twitter profile. Uh, John, you have that posted on yours as well. We'll probably give another retweet, uh, on our main post wrestling site and all our socials tomorrow. Yeah. And, uh, please keep their family in your thoughts. It's just, uh, it's a, it's a very, very sad story. The other, um, campaign that is going on is for our friend, Jim Valley, who we have, uh, kept you updated, uh, with what he has been going on really has, he's on, he's in ICU on a ventilator and has been for, for quite some time now. Uh, Josh Nason has uh, put up a GoFundMe because, um, you know, as he has been hospitalized, his wife has relayed the news that their insurance premiums have increased. And I just I just cannot imagine the burden on top of everything else um, from a financial side that comes through uh, a significant um, 
issues such as what Jim is going through right now. So again, if you want to just search for Jim Valley, the campaign will pop up there. Uh, there's been a lot of generous donations uh, thus far, but we want to make mention of both these. I know it's probably trying times for many people. So if you do have the means, um, you know, these are, you know, two, two families that are going through a lot right now and any little bit can assist in a great way. You know, like we, it's it, to me, like one of the big constants I have is, you know, my involvement in the wrestling community. It is something that like we congregate around, whether it be a Monday or, you know, a Friday evening or these days, Wednesday. But um, as much as we might argue with one another about a very passionate point in, in the industry, like in the end, we are all bonded together by this one single thing that we are all fans of. And um, it's, you know, um like all that bullshit aside, like when, when you hear about people who are kind of in, in need of like real life help, it's, it's, uh, it, it, in, in Jim, Jim Valley's case in particular, it was really wonderful for me to see like so many people, you know, pledge to this, uh, GoFundMe. Yeah. So once again, if you just, uh, searching for them on the GoFundMe, uh, at GoFundMe.com, the easiest uh, way to search, search for Lucy Albert or for Jim Valley or both. Um, so go, uh, and, and do what you can. We appreciate it. All right, we're going to uh, just uh, recap uh, quickly uh, some reaction and thoughts overall to the TakeOver card on Sunday night, where you've had a chance to see the card, as have I. Um, just general takeaways, uh, maybe starting with uh, the main event and show as a whole. How did this uh, TakeOver stack up for you? Uh, main event was absolutely fantastic. I think um, you know anybody who went in there with high expectations, I, I would definitely have to imagine uh, had the Met, if not exceeded, um, Kyle O'Reilly was given a chance to step up there in the spotlight in a main event to deliver a main event caliber NXT takeover caliber match. And, uh, mm -hmm. I would say he and Finn Balor had something to prove, you know, being in that championship main event spot. And I think they both did. It was a very hard hitting, you know, realistic feeling type of match. And in particular, like I was really happy to see Kyle O'Reilly, like make that ascent. Um, he, to me is like the best representative of jiu-jitsu brazilian jiu-jitsu uh great technique and great ability to translate those techniques techniques into professional wrestling um so to see you know how successful the match was and i think to see the reaction that the match garnered uh with him doing that sort of style i i really hope to see more in the future i love this main event uh, to me it was um by far the highlight of the takeover for me i thought going into the main event i thought it was some good matches, but nothing that had left a really strong impression on me that most takeovers, um, th there's plenty of. Uh, th this main event was tremendous. It was one of my favorite matches this year. I thought that the uh, doing like uh, it's a spot that you see so often in MMA where it's the liver shot that just you have that delay and then the wrestler crum or the fighter crumbles. I thought that was such a great use in this match, that idea of O'Reilly getting hit in the liver and you almost felt like the announcers were not quite on top of it when it first happened. And then you have about a minute before Beth updates them that it was the liver that was hit. And it's so significant to the finish where the double foot stomp is there right to the liver as well. Uh, that causes Kyle O'Reilly to stay down. I thought it was a, I don't even want to say breakout performance for Kyle O'Reilly, but I think to people that had maybe only seen him in the tags in NXT, I just think having that singles outing, uh, to me, it just cemented his place that he is a top guy in NXT. 
afterward, we had the big angle where it was Ridge Holland showing up with Adam Cole draped on his shoulders and dumped out, prompting Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish to run from the back. And O'Reilly left just confused at what has happened here, uh, as did maybe many people. Uh, But I certainly took from this like a tease that instead of where we had thought this might go, where there was some kind of split coming with Cole and O'Reilly, it seemed more so that if there's going to be a divide in the Undisputed Era, it's Strong and Fish potentially breaking off. That's the vibe I got from this angle. Very possible. I think they've you know purposely left it ambiguous and open-ended enough that it could be a number of different possibilities, you know, um, and I I like that. I like that they didn't just spell it out for you right at the end and take over. You now have a reason to watch this week's NXT, if not, you know, maybe NXT's uh, beyond this week to see this mystery unravel. Um, I would say, you know, for sure they are teasing some form of breakup, um, even though on the surface it doesn't look that way. But I I do get the sense, like, you know, the days of, like, seeing these four together are, are probably uh, very much numbered. So, um, you know, the, and with that comes, I hope, you know, a continued ascent into the main event scene for Kyle O'Reilly and maybe even some of the other members as well. Now, when you were watching the show, did you get any impression of any of the finishes that would lead you to the conclusion that any of these performers are on their way out the door at NXT? Did you leave with any thoughts in that regard well while previewing the show um we had certainly you know considered i thought it was pretty open-ended about who any of these titles changing because um we i could possibly see almost anybody move up to the roster following a a title change i mean with the exception of like i would say i think a johnny gargano i think at this point might be a bit of a lifer at nxt so i was almost a little surprised that he and candace both lost you know Mm -hmm. after they pushed the whole you know um a double championship thing with the Garganos. Um, so the fact that he lost tells me that Damien Priest is likely staying for a bit. I mean, you would have to assume that all the champions are probably going to stay. Yeah. And and that would mean of the losers, you have um, Kyle O'Reilly, who's who's clearly staying. I mean, John Gargano, I, I, again, I think he's a lifer. Uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott is just starting. Um, that looks to continue as well. Um, you know, Candice LeRae, uh, possible, but I mean, he, she's so tied with Johnny Gargano, I can't really see it. So that really just, in my opinion, leaves Velveteen Dream as a potential call-up. Yeah, and he just he just felt so cold in this match. I thought, like, I can get the the Doc Brown idea, but to me it was like, he looked so ridiculous in this match that I just, I couldn't even take him seriously in any regard, and... To me, that match was all about Kushida. Like, he he looked great. I really like this new edge that they've given to him. But Velveteen Dream just felt like the sacrificial lamb here. I just don't think that guy has any momentum right now. I think it's just, uh, I think people are very uh, conflicted on how to react to him. And it's it's reflected in, I think, how he's presented on TV. That he just feels like he is just a body there that has nothing going for him. It's true. Yeah. And for that reason, I, I don't really know what his chances might be of being called up right now, too. Certainly. And I think any any, you know, it, any form of attention specifically placed on Velveteen Dream right now, especially if it was in the case of like a call up, I think will be met with a great deal of attention. Um, and, you know, um, I, it's something I, I'm sure they would be considering. Um, so I'm definitely a little bit perplexed about w- whether or not any of these people that we saw on Sunday might make it uh, into the draft. Well, Paul Levesque doesn't know yet. He's he's not sure. 
Yeah, I guess not. They haven't, they haven't let him know. What did you think about um, Io Shirai, Candice LeRae? I enjoyed the match a whole lot. Uh, I know that you know the the finish was met with with quite a bit of criticism. I, I mean, I'm I, I'm probably the wrong person to ask because like I very much accept you know run-ins as a part of professional wrestling. You know, as legitimate as you know um, uh, pulling the tights on a vertical suplex. So it didn't really bother me. Um, I thought you know the story was decently told. Yeah, I was one of those that I think, especially for these shows, I I think I have a much uh, wider latitude when it comes to Raw or SmackDown and your pay-per-views and clever ways to get around. And I mean, the goal in just about all of these title matches was going so far in the direction to push you with the idea that the challenger was going to win the title, except for the main event where it was kind of the opposite. And O'Reilly was just getting destroyed. But in this one, it was coming up with as many ways to convince you that Candice LeRae was winning this title when ultimately it would be Io Shirai retaining. And I just think that there is a reason these takeovers are these tremendously anticipated shows. And it's because you have such a lack of this kind of match layout where I don't think this is what your audience is craving or wanting um, where it's, you're going to get all these goofy belt shots and the ref has to turn his back. And we do all the, the shortcuts that we come to expect, but I don't think anyone anticipates. It, it, I think it's a legitimate point of contention. You know, we know that something like NXT is is geared towards a different, you know, I would say stylistically geared towards an, an audience of a different taste, you know, uh, an audience of a taste that wants something a bit more legitimate. So does it have a place? Um, I feel like they're also a company that reacts well to like public criticism. And if they hear plenty of outcry about something like this, then maybe you will get less of it in the future. The Capitol Wrestling Center presentation. Did you, what, what did you think about this idea? I would, I will say definitely that the timing of all this after this recent outbreak is a little bit, uh, it, it makes you, it begs some questions of doing this now at an indoor facility that I think, you know, you certainly um, have your concerns with. Uh, but in terms of just the presentation of it all, I can't say I really got this throwback feel that Paul Levesque was talking about earlier in the day. I mean, I did not feel like I was walking into 1953. I felt like I was watching a closed set or a semi-closed set in 2020. Outside of the name of the, of the building and the video that started off the takeover, um, there there was, I think that's probably what he was mostly referring to, like the video with the Vince McMahon quote at the beginning from 1977. Beyond that, yeah, I mean, it, this was basically, you know, Thunderdome light. Um crammed into the performance center and i and i don't know i don't know if you should be cramming anything into an inside facility right now yeah okay so Especially about, people so about that so they're they're letting in uh at this moment friends and family as part of the yes. crowd yes. Uh, who, who they they are doing testing for and going beyond like temperature checking they're doing actual testing for these people I believe the day prior mandatory mass um you know people are uh brought in according to their own bubbles and kept in in their own bubbles like literally, they're pods. They, they've got yeah, pods right. with your group. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, maybe not getting into that that particular discussion about whether or not it's right to do right now in an indoor venue, but I I think presentation wise, it's 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 certainly an improvement. You know, uh, they they're trying to I guess cram a bit of the best of both worlds, whatever they can fit in there. Some LED screens with fans on Zoom, uh, and then some real life fans too, and a lot of piped audio as well. 
I think they could really experiment with cutting the piped audio because that to me was a detriment because it almost like the piped audio over overrode any of the natural sound you were going to get inside there. I thought it was especially difficult in that opening match to I I don't know if the natural sound would be loud enough. Like if we're talking especially like a smaller like how many people would have fit in there? I mean, even if it's if you're talking like we we saw when they were doing the performance center shows that you didn't need a lot of people to make sound. Um, I feel like there were probably more like an extras than what we had yesterday, don't you? In either either case, I don't think it would be as loud as what they have envisioned in their mind. And what they have envisioned in their mind is like something that sounds like a regular takeover, which I don't think you could achieve unless you had, you know, fake audio. Uh, and I guess the the main news coming out beyond the uh, the match results, we had the return of Ember Moon, who was the masked motorcycle driver, and Tony Storm, uh, both back. Um, the idea that you have both of these, uh, Ember Moon coming back from the main roster and Tony Storm coming over from NXT UK, I guess the next question is, are these two spots that they are filling of two women that could be outgoing? That's where I feel you might see a call up, you know, whether it be a Rhea Ripley or... Dakota Kai, um, I could see somebody uh, in the women's division moving out as a result of those two coming in. Um, but as it exists, well, you know, I, they I did th- do a thing on the pre-show with Ripley, where they're she's they've still got the Raquel Gonzalez program with her, and she has, has stayed on the pre-show challenging the winner, which was Io Shirai. So I'm with you. I would be moving Rhea Ripley, but it just seems that they have programs See, in place for her i don't think too deeply about any of that stuff i mean keith oh. lee was a damn champion um like that's true this happens all the time and if if what paul Beck himself says is true he doesn't even know if nxt is involved like i don't think they give a shit who's got story paul, paul's gonna tune in on friday oh there there go our programs yeah. um and the thing that was met with maybe the most positivity was that they're gonna do a halloween havoc special on october 28th on a wednesday night People love nostalgia. Um, people love seeing old logos for things that they remember as a kid. Um, they, you know, achieved, a, I would say, a good deal of online buzz by bringing back in your house. Same with Great American Bash. Now it's Halloween Havoc. So for sure next year, you're getting, we're we going to get Bash at the Beach, aren't we? Well, that was, uh, I mean, they, they, were, uh, they were trying to do that in AEW. So it's the battle over the WCW IP. Oh, that's right. Uh, to mm. me, it's like you can't do this show without that giant pumpkin that they had on the set with the, the hands on top of it. For sure. Like, just make it as sticky as possible. I mean, Halloween is definitely, it's one of the most visually stunning, like, fun um, holidays there are. And you have to have fun with it. So I hope to see that. Uh, it's also interesting to see that, like, with this special that I think, I think it's really fun to do a themed show, especially for Halloween, uh, and make it a lot of fun and it's kind of the the tables reversed of what does AEW do in response to this on on the show because it you know they could do their own halloween special but that kind of feels uh like they're they're second to the dance at that point doing the the wrestling halloween special canadian thanksgiving the other october uh, holiday uh they could sell well that this is after canadian thanksgiving so they, yeah. they'd have to do that uh like next week thanksgiving is this weekend way Oh wow! Yeah, the um, the government's recommending small gatherings, which is nice nice to hear. Well, we're we're having a we're having a blowout Thanksgiving uh, consisting of three people. 
Sorry. Sounds like the right size for the time being. Hey, uh, Santos Escobar, uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott, uh, fantastic match. I mean, I, I think if you wanted to even call that match of the night ahead of the main event, I, I would mm. not disagree whatsoever. I, I like the match. Yeah. Um, the, the finish was a little off, but you could see what they were doing. Like if you paid attention, it wasn't off though. Like he actually hit the turnbuckle. He made like, it to the end. Yeah. It's yeah. just, he went down with like such a lack of, um, like it didn't look all it's that an awkward, like, like spot to like, you know, plan, plan to hit your head. Like it doesn't translate too well on TV, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I thought they nailed it though. If you, if you, Watch the replay. I, I, I like doing little spots like that where, like, Escobar took off the, the padding, like, right at the beginning of the match, and then that pays off by, by the end. Mm-hmm. It's similar like the liver spot that we got in the main event where it was something that had a dramatic effect later on and forces you to pay attention to those little details as well. But, yeah, they, they had a very good match together. So uh, that was TakeOver. Um, what is not coming up in the near future is the final season of Glow. It turns out you've already seen the final season of Glow because it was season three. Uh, It was announced today that Netflix is canceling the show uh, due to COVID-19 restrictions. And a deadline had reported that they were three weeks into filming uh, earlier this year when the pandemic hit and production was shut down. They had only finished one episode. They were starting on the second and they're doing all their filming in LA. And the... Statement that came out from Netflix, uh, this was uh, told to The Wrap, we've made the difficult decision not to do a fourth season of GLOW due to COVID, which makes shooting this physically intimate show with its large ensemble cast especially challenging. We are also, we are so grateful to creators uh, Liz uh, Flahive and Carly Mensch, Genji Cohen, and all the writers, cast, and crew for sharing this story about the incredible women of GLOW. So that is the end, and I mean... <laughs> It is just kind of bizarre as we are recapping the story way that it is just too dangerous to be doing a production <laughs> about professional wrestling <laughs> as we are about to be reviewing the actual e- exhibition of said subject. Like that just tells you the different worlds that we are existing in when it comes to pro wrestling in the real world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's strange. Um, perhaps if they are engaged in real professional wrestling bouts, it'd be a bit safer. <laughs> um, yeah, it's bizarre. But who knows, like, you know, when, when it's Hollywood, like when, you know, you have a different level of celebrity attached to some of these performers, of course, and I don't know, like contract-wise, I, 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 who knows really what, what, is, what is involved here. But And, and a- let's be honest, like this was, they had already preemptively announced this was going to be the last season. It's mm-hmm. not as though... Like, wh- where is this in the priority of other things? And for the talent involved, I mean, what other projects maybe are like, that's, that's yeah. a whole thing in Hollywood is that with all of this downtime, like how much of like future projects, like look at the, look at a guy like Dwayne Johnson and he, it's like, he's got his next three years booked and how much, uh, not to say all these people probably have uh, a giant list of projects to jump to, but um, it, it may be as well. Like if, if there's no... A production set up or this is going to be delayed by a significant portion of time maybe yeah. some want the plug to be pulled to be able to move on and, and have that freedom and not be tied to th- this particular series that is going to be on the sidelines it's not quite as simple as you know telling everybody hey wait 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 and then we'll pick back up you know next year like you're talking about you know people like you said john like celebrities that 
have contracts lined up perhaps for certain amounts of, of periods and uh, items and, and projects lined up for, for other uh, periods. So it's really disappointing, you know, just simply as a fan, anybody who would have heard our Patreon reviews of uh, seasons two and three would know how, 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 how much John and I were into in particular the last couple of seasons where it really like grew from more than just a, a wrestling theme drama to like something that was um, a really great commentary on racism of the time, homophobia of the time. Uh, and you know, all the way up to like, you know, messages that I think are very relatable still today. So all of it, like with a wrestling backdrop, it was one of the more serious interpretations of professional wrestling. One of the more respectful interpretations of, of, of professional wrestling in Hollywood. I, I, I think we've seen. It would have been very interesting. And granted, I mean, this, this season was going to be the last one and it was already written and, you know, they were ready to shoot it, but had this series come along a couple years later and was in the middle of this and we didn't have this whole pandemic would have been very interesting to see how a series like this would have incorporated because I think they would have the speaking out movement. And if that would have been how they would have approached that, because I think that is a a confluence of a real issue that professional wrestling is going through that they would not have shied away from and putting a spotlight on it in kind of an 80s setting where uh, I mean, you, you can imagine what the industry was like. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that is the the latest on Glow. SmackDown on Friday night, uh, they were up a bit from what the overnight figures had pegged the show at. They finished with 2,155,000 viewers, a point six in the 18 to 49 demo. So they were behind the NBA, which uh, the finals were airing on NBC or sorry, on ABC on Friday night uh, that had 6.6 million viewers and a 2.4 demo number uh but this was smackdown's second highest number since august 21st and that is fairly impressive given that they were going against the nba they were going against uh a a wild card game from major league baseball which uh, the cardinals and padres was the number one show on cable on friday night and friday night news coverage was through the roof with the news that donald trump was being admitted to uh the walter reed medical uh, center so News coverage was just everyone was looking for information on Friday night and SmackDown did not get affected at all. They they stayed steady. So I took this as for, for a SmackDown that going into it, it was the hook was we're coming off Clash of Champions. That was about it for SmackDown. I, I, I have to imagine like, yeah, the success of perhaps the Roman Reigns storyline coming out of uh, Clash of Champions and into SmackDown. I have to th- think that would account for the the number holding steady um but i i guess at this point like yeah this would be a considered good numbers for the show um in canada the show uh was smackdown was the number two most watched sports program in the country behind the nba game they did one hundred eighty thousand six hundred viewers uh in canada the the demo they focus on is 25 to 54 they did eighty four thousand three hundred and also finishing in the top 10 was the one-hour edited version of NXT that preceded SmackDown on Friday that did 75,500 viewers and main event that followed SmackDown doing 74,500. So you're looking at like 74, 75,000 viewers that are good for – that watch like a four-hour block of WWE programming on, on Sportsnet 360 on Friday night. Well, I mean, I guess Canadians – I was going to say Canadians don't care that much about the um, 
American president, but uh, we certainly do. Like we're probably paying as much attention as anybody. Yeah, just watching from afar. Yeah. Um, what else do we have here? Uh, was, oh, uh, this Friday. So th- this this week they did two million one hundred fifty five thousand viewers. What do you think the draft is going to mean? Uh, they are going against uh, the NBA on on Friday night. I I think it'll do better than last week. I mean, outside of the NBA, any other competition? Uh, there'll be there'll be baseball playoffs. Like baseball is pretty much every night, but the big thing will be yeah, the NBA that starts at nine o'clock. So you'll get like the pregame show at eight thirty, very similar to what they faced last week. I I think the fact that they held up so well last week, um, I'm not feeling the drafts. It feels like a big deal, but they should get some bump from it. I'm thinking, you know. I would say two point three would be what you're you're shooting for. For two point three, two point four. Like the you know, like so many shows, I think are. I, I definitely feel like a lot of shows lose their significance. I mean, certainly anytime they advertise any sort of like cross brand promotional bullshit thing, like nobody cares. But something that like still to me feels a bit real is is the draft because it promises to be the first night you will see somebody on a certain show or the last night you will see somebody on a certain show. Um, like in, in a way, this is definitely the closest thing WWE has like a season, season premiere or season finale. So I, I expect it to do well. Um, I don't know how well, but, uh, better than last week. I would, I would hope last year's draft on SmackDown granted, this was week two on Fox. So mm-hmm. they were coming off that monstrous number with the rock the first week, but last year's draft on SmackDown did 2,877,000 viewers and a 1.0 in the 18 to 49 demo. I don't think we're hitting those numbers. Yeah, not anymore. Um, unfortunately. So, what was the when was the last time like it even like it even danced around that those numbers? Like since they did like two two I mean, two, they haven't done 2 million 8. They did about um, like 2 million 700 like in February, it looks like. And yeah, they did just under 2.7 million back on February 28th. So that would be, and that was John Cena, uh, John Cena's return on the show that right. they promoted. Yeah. So yeah, you're going back to February when you were doing like, you know, upwards of close to 2.7 million. Hmm. Um, Kento Miyahara lost to Zeus today. Uh, so Zeus wins the champion carnival, very strong main event match. They went over 31 minutes, uh, Zeus winning with the jackhammer. And that will set up him challenging Suwama uh, later this month on October 27th in Osaka. And uh, earlier in the tournament, uh, Zeus had beaten Suwama in their A block match using the face lock, uh, which caused the referee's stoppage. So that sets up uh, Zeus going for the title. Uh, Strong match, I, I thought. Uh, Kento Miyahara had won the carnival last year, and Zeus wins his first one at the age of uh, 38. Uh, AEW on Wednesday night, it's built around the whole uh, Jericho anniversary, as well as the dog collar match. Uh, did you have any time this evening to see the Road to Jericho special? Oh, no, I did not. Um, I, I didn't even know it was around. So how was it? Okay, you have to watch this. Number one, in four minutes... Chris Jericho will make you, he made Luther in four minutes. Okay. He spent four minutes talking about the legend of Luther in Japan, how he's known this guy for 30 years, had faced him 
in April of 1991 for the first time. And he was jealous of how successful Luther was. He's talking about his matches with Onita, uh, headlining Kawasaki Stadium, and how this this is the most important match of Luther's career, which is not a stretch. And he knows he's going to face the best Luther, but then he looks into the camera, but he's also getting the best Jericho. This was an unbelievable promo from Jericho that takes a tag match that, listen, if you're following AEW on paper, it's it's not jumping off the page at you. Uh, Luther and Serpentico against Jericho and Hager. This four minutes, he did just a tremendous job building up this tag match so that you are genuinely intrigued to see this. How long is this special? It's 14 minutes. It features, that's the highlight. There's a Cody promo for the dog collar match, which is very good. And then there's Arn Anderson, who, again, just knocks it out of the park. Again, I'm going to say this every time he cuts one of these great promos. He was in WWE, folks, for 17 years, and he wasn't on TV. It is mind-boggling. He explains why there were so few dog collar matches because of the brutal violence and they showed stills of the Greg Valentine, Roddy Piper match from the first Starcade, and basically said that Cody accepted this match without getting advice from Arn. And he said that Cody is going into this one. It's a violent, violent match. And then you had Cody's uh, response to all of this. It it was a really good uh, special. Like, usually these Road 2s are pretty good when they throw them out there. Th- this was a very good one, just to build up this like by the end of this, this felt like a big show that's coming up on Wednesday. That sounds awesome. And again, like that's some of the stuff I wish that that would make its way to air at some point. I didn't even know the special existed, uh, but I will check it out based on that recommendation. Have you, however, seen the road to Michael Nakazawa versus Matt Seidel? Okay. I saw the opening of being the elite today with, I, I mean, they're doing now where Colt <laughs> Cabana has, his facial uh, procedure that he had, he now embodies Michael Nakazawa, and they ha- you can explain this better than me, but it's it's ridiculous. He, but he, he saw a plastic surgeon to fix his face, and the plastic surgeon ended up making him look like Michael Nakazawa. So you have a scene at the beginning of, of um, Being the Elite this week where Matt Seidel, uh, coming off of the news that Michael Nakazawa was the one who thwarted or who, uh, 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 what, do, what do you call that, um, sabotaged his debut um, by putting oil on the top turnbuckle, causing him to slip on that shooting star press. You know, Evan Bourne wants, or sorry, Matt Seidel hears that these two are going to have a match on Dark, so he confronts Michael Nakazawa. But he, what he doesn't know is that it's Colt Cabana in Michael Nakazawa's body. Or actually, it's Michael Nakazawa, it's Colt Cabana with plastic Colt's voice yeah to look like michael nakazawa so you have michael nakazawa on screen and colt off camera speaking in his voice and doing it i'm not doing a great job of selling it certainly not as good as uh john did selling that uh chris jericho special but um that's the big man's on dark it's listen they've done a phenomenal job with uh with matt seidel and <laughs> uh michael nakazawa and the 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 new the new look colt cabana who gave me a very nice shout out on his uh, Art of Wrestling show last week, by the way. Oh, okay. What did he say? Or what about? Uh, he was just talking about he, he was he was having a discussion about uh, 
Dave Meltzer like reviewing matches and that he has earned this audience that he has a platform to share his opinions and people should understand like this is a guy that's very knowledgeable and then he uh he threw in my name and Mike Johnson's as well it's a very very nice uh comment that he made how nice very cool so uh yeah it's with uh Santana and Ortiz were his guests on the show so uh there you go that is uh what is going on in AEW land. What do we have on Wednesday? Beyond, beyond those two matches, the dog collar and the tag match, it's FTR against Angelico and Jack Evans with the tag titles on the line with the 20-minute time limit and Brian Cage, Will Hobbs for the FTW title. And as of now, uh, we don't have anything announced for NXT uh, other than the fallout from TakeOver. Uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, maybe by that point they'll know a bit more about... Um the the draft coming up perhaps but certainly a lot of storyline points coming off the takeover uh, as well do you think that uh you know the vp debate is going on wednesday night do you think with everything involving all the the uh covid in, uh, news with, with donald trump do you think that there's a heightened uh yes audience for the vp debate than there was going to be 100 percent, absolutely i think there's just more of a interest in in this race period me um, too it, because it's so important and because the first debate between the, the the presidential debate was such a shit show, I feel like people might be looking towards the VP debate to actually learn about some of these. Um, no, th- this will be the more civil one of the two by leaps and bounds to the point that I'm sure there will be many that would be, well, um, anyway. It, it's, it's so people can actually perhaps learn about the, the platforms if they're interested in that. But I think more importantly, I think people want to hear the topic of coronavirus be brought up and how the two parties will be addressing one another um, and, and defending in some cases. And, you know, really it's, if anything, I, I would say, I mean, really this is like become the most talked about thing like in the world, you know, right now. So yeah, it'll probably take a hit. And they've announced that um, Kamala Harris and Mike Pence, they're going to be separated by plexiglass for the debate on, on Wednesday. Like, is that so difficult? Like, why why isn't that happening all the time anyway? I, I mean, whatever. Well, we, we, we can get into this. I am not holding my breath uh, that that's going to happen for the next presidential debate. Because it's it's not about health. It's about it, – it, it's it becomes a political issue. Yeah, we'll see. Well, if it even happens at this point, who knows? Oh, God. Every time I talk about politics, people just scream at me. Um you know, I got I got a DM from someone today. It was no big deal. It was like, oh, fan of the show. But then I uh, was pointing out their disagreement with me about a point I made on the takeover review last night <laughs> on the on the podcast. So I, I didn't know how to respond to that. I was like, I don't know. I wasn't on the show, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to know which, which one was I confused with? Because I don't know who confuses me with Davey or Brayden. I don't know. Was it the Post Wrestling account or the I Am John Pollock account? No, it was my personal account. Oh. Um, it's <laughs> it was the post account. I would assume it wasn't directed at me. I mean, the, we Mike. did we did put the show on our feed, so maybe that's where he was mistaken. That is fair. That, that I didn't even think of that. You're right. You're right. So anyway, um, anyway, so I like to pretend to be Braden all the time. Actually, I just tell people I I, I like to think that uh, I I do have Braden's spirit hidden in me somewhere. Mm. Yeah, it's lit. Let us get into a lit raw. Or was it lit? We'll find out. Uh, we started things off with Randy Orton in a dark room. This is quite the uh, the set design that they had. He was here in at the scene of the crime from last week. The Legends Lounge. The Legends Lounge, yes. 
He did not leave Clash of Champions with the title. He left in an ambulance and recalls being attacked by Big Show, Christian, and Shawn Michaels while Drew McIntyre punted him, forcing him to lose consciousness, and he just saw darkness. What a, what a motif we had 24 hours later where he would be in darkness but extracting revenge. He says that every action has a reaction, and they reintroduced the legend killer last week so that they could feel the same pain that he did. And he casually notes, when I slid my night vision goggles on. <laughs> what can you take seriously when those words start a sentence? <laughs> he explained in great detail, due to his night vision goggles, what each man did in response to the lights going out. Big Show started swinging wildly, so Randy Orton destroyed his hands. Then he whispered to Christian, say hi to Edge for me and then murdered Christian. Sean grabbed a chair, and then Orton took it and caved his skull in. While Flair got to the doorway, Orton turned him around, and Flair met his fate. And the bill will not be paid in full until he's champion. Drew has hell to pay, and if he wants to cement his legacy, he'll need to survive one more title match with me inside Hell in a Cell. And with that, knock knock, who's there? Drew! Drew who? And in comes McIntyre to attack Randy, and the officials come in, and Orton flees the room. I thought it was really nice of Drew to wait until Randy finished the entire monologue. It's probably like looking at his watch outside. (laughs) Oh, that's the out, right? Okay. All right. Yeah. I I think um, even though we're in like an empty arena setting... I still prefer like these types of show opening monologues to feel a bit more alive, you know, like to feel like they're actually a part of a rest- professional wrestling sort of like sporting event rather than just, you know, this one was just like Randy Orton set up back backstage with like this fancy lighting setup, talking with B-roll covering it. And instead of feeling like a pro wrestling promo, it, it just kind of felt more like cheesy amateur theater, which I don't often say about like a performer as good as Randy Orton, but like I maybe it's just because of the nature of last week's attack, as ridiculous as it was. Lights out, night vision goggles on, lights back what are you on. What talking about? Oh, I just like I think Randy Orton has done such a great job of making pro wrestling feel realistic. You know, over the past year, that I've had to suspend my disbelief a little too much. You know, recently, um, and the night vision thing was just over the top, and a follow up of this nature didn't really help it either. What are the odds that after Randy Orton had to absorb the fact that he's got to wear night vision goggles, did he race to his phone to text uh, Adam and say, Hey, how's that rehab coming along? (laughs) Help. I need you back here. (laughs) We kicked off the show with Oscar Mandy Rose. I I mean, they were, (laughs) Those two were tasked to be in the greatest wrestling match ever. Like, I don't know if his presence would really help all that much. Well, I don't know. I'm. You almost have to, like, do a, some kind of lights out deal now with the night vision goggles. Maybe that's how this is going to end inside Hell in a Cell. Uh, you know, it would be helpful during all these retribution things, wouldn't it? They should really be putting out WWE branded night vision goggles. Yes. I would think. Oscar, Mandy Rose, and Dana Brooke took on Zelina Vega, Natalia, and Lana. Uh, Dana Brooke did like she usually always does this spot, but it looked especially wacky this week where she does that spinning head scissors. But it's not really a head scissors; it's more like her legs are 
upright on Natalia's shoulders, and it's completely dependent on Natalia choosing to hold on to these legs. Because if she let go, Dana's crashing down to the mat. There is no connection around the neck of Natalia. So she just spins like a, like a child that's just spinning around on her parents' like shoulders. Well, you got to suspend your disbelief. Well, I... My eyes cannot suspend disbelief when I'm staring at this. Vega pulls Asuka off the apron, and then Rose grabs Vega, allowing Natalia to beat down on Rose, so they attack Rose in the corner for a while. Asuka gets the tag, hits the hip attack, then a sliding knee is delivered to Lana, who is just a punching bag throughout this match and the post-match. Brooke hits her handspring elbow to Natalia in the corner, Rose is tagged, flying knee uh, to Lana, and pins her in 450. And then Asuka, Mandy, and Dana Brooke walk to the top of the stage, and they all flex. They all do their Young Bucks routine before they leave. Yes, yes. I I can't say really, like, um, many of the matches on this show, I mean, this edition of Raw really felt like it was kind of like the last day of school. You've just, you've done all your tests, you've already got your grades, you know who's staying back, and you know who's who's not. Like, you don't even, you don't have any homework, certainly. Like, no one's taking class seriously, you're just kind of there to say goodbye to your friends. And that's what matches like this felt like, you know, like nobody really has any sort of storyline going on. You have like, you know, Zelina who I think, you know, had, had a, uh, a couple days of like really good appearances. Uh, but this week, no significant story attached to her, nothing with Asuka, uh, because you would have to expect at least a couple of these people might not be a part of the show next week. Yeah. This was the last day of school where the teacher came in and said, okay, everyone, settle down. Uh, Before we say goodbye for the summer, I want to have everyone welcome our newest addition, Mandy. Everyone say hi to Mandy. She's joining us for today. (laughs) The last day Uh, of school. Yeah. Yeah. At least this this really did cement why Mandy Rose was brought to Raw. It's also clear now. Like, they have this deep idea for Mandy Rose on Raw. She clearly was uh, necessary last week on Raw to come over. I mean, her push is, I mean, it already kind of has started, but it's probably not, like, she was probably going to be a name that was going to be drafted anyway, um, but they just decided to, decided to do it to give, you know, put some heat on the Miz, I suppose. But I think it comes at the detriment of, like, believing in this draft thing at all. Like, you're already drafting people pre-draft, right? So. And even worse, if you don't get your draft picks, now we have a whole new outline uh to get around and that is exhibition matches that's right yes so don't worry if you don't if you don't get any of these draft picks we have a whole (laughs) new way to get around this naya and Shayna come out vega uh bails and lana is still selling the effects of mandy's knee and jackson baszler destroy them with lana once again being dropped the samoan drop through the table broke this time and naya kills lana for the third time yeah, she's becoming Kenny from South Park. That's sort of their running gag, and it's sort of their role for Lana. So um makes you wonder how they pick people for these positions. But, I mean, um, yep, Lana's in this spot. Um, you know, this entire division, I think, really just needs a lot of work. And hopefully, you know, the draft is, is the time to refresh everything. You have a great nucleus in Asuka to build everything around. But beyond that, it's 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 been... Same with the women's tag team division on Raw. It's just been very, very lackluster as of late. So I hope to see some big moves. Yes, yes. Big moves like uh, breaking up Billy Kay and Peyton Royce. Jeez. That hot, 
that great idea. Yeah. R-Truth is holding a mock draft uh, among his picks that he's going to move to SmackDown included. This is how bored I was during this segment. Ninja number one, Mercy the Buzzard, Little Jimmy, Sam Roberts, Mr. McMahon, Charlie Caruso, Sister Abigail, and this was kind of funny, Brother Love to SmackDown. Wow. All those? Wow. So there's a janitor behind R-Truth. A referee appears. R-Truth thinks that the janitor is still Randy Orton, and he slips on a caution sign, and the janitor is Drew Gulak, who pins R-Truth. I needed a 30-minute break. I laughed so hard. Well, the pu- He was the janitor, and he pinned him. Oh, you must have missed the punchline, John, because you, oh you know R-Truth slipped and fell in this water, so Drew Gulak says, See you next fall. I heard him say, see you next fall, and I did not put it together that he literally meant the fall um, that R-Truth just took. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, So take it back, awesome. man. Take back those sarcastic words. Yeah, totally. This was, this was Emmy material. Mustafa Ali, the man of the night, was with Apollo Crews and Ricochet. MVP walks up and says, you guys may win the occasional match, but you never win the fight. He calls them young and green and mentions how their careers could change in the draft. He says how Cruz was doing nothing on SmackDown, then he came over to Raw and became a champion, although he's back to doing nothing, so I don't know if this was a convincing argument from MVP. He's got an opening in the Hurt Business, and somehow tried to convey that it won't matter what show you're on, you'll be part of the Hurt Business. So Cruz <laughs> tells, tells them not to listen to MVP. Him and Ali walk off, but Ricochet stands there, Looking conflicted. Yes. And if you couldn't tell that he was conflicted, um, <laughs> maybe the lingering it was very. Shot. It was so subtle. It was so subtle. You had to really pay attention <sighs> to his demeanor, that they didn't just isolate him in the scene and tell him for 10 seconds, look conflicted, Ricochet, which, anyway, uh, <laughs> was all a ploy. So it means he knew the camera was on him. Yes, it must have been. Yeah, that must have been. And that must have been why he was wearing his dangly earring, because why else would you wear a dangly earring in 2020 except to tease that you might be turning? The Israel Adesanya earring. He was wearing this thing all around uh, 253 a few weeks ago. Oh, okay. So, yeah. He's doing much better than Ricochet, though. Seth Rollins and Murphy come out for their tag match, and Murphy wants Rollins to apologize to Aaliyah. Rollins screams at him. He's the Messiah. You are the disciple. And he brings up the rest of the DMs that Aaliyah and Murphy shared, including Aaliyah telling Murphy about how her family thinks Dominic is the chosen one. So again, breaking the man code here is Seth Rollins releasing DM info. And man, Murphy really hid the fact that these were uh, potentially fake DM. Like, the guy didn't have to necessarily sell these as a gospel from the Messiah. Should Rollins really be the one to be talking about leaked DMs? Murphy had a comeback. In a different era, he could have had quite the comeback on Seth Rollins. Yes. Right. Seth and Murphy took on Dominic and Umberto Carrillo, the best friends, that we have not got one segment of these two explaining how they fell into a tag team together. Yeah, we, I guess. We just get like a Twitter video, like a tweet, like, hey, Umberto, what's up? Had fun this weekend having our socially distanced barbecue. See you Monday. At least, okay, they hang out together. He's a friend of the family. Those are the DMs you want. Yeah. 
Dominic and Carrillo jump them at the bell and they send them to the floor. There's a tope suicida high cross combo from the two. Rollins tells Murphy he doesn't need him uh, as Carrillo then attacks both of them, hits a missile dropkick. Carrillo actually looked very good here. He just has nothing going with him on the show. Dominic gets tossed over the barricade and Rollins is yelling at Murphy. So Carrillo dives onto both and then Carrillo leaps off the top rope into a flying knee from Murphy taking notes from Mandy Rose half an hour ago and pins Carrillo in 422. But then Murphy leaves without Rollins. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Beautiful flying knee to counter Carrillo's dive. Um, match was fine. Uh, I don't even know if it's there's that much to talk about because really it was just no, more. This, of a, this was the most nothing match Dominic's been part of. This is total storyline vehicle. Adam Pierce, the man behind the entire on-screen brand split, is on the phone. Braun Strowman appears. This was amazing. <laughs> he says, "I know Raw Underground isn't happening tonight, but I didn't drive here for no reason." Uh, sounds like you did. How did this dude, like, does he not text? He drove all the way. The guy lives in Wisconsin. I hope he's not making that drive every single week. No, I think, I, I think he might live in Florida, but goes, because that's what, that was where he went uh, when he wasn't booked for mania. He went home to Wisconsin and he had to turn mm-hmm. around. So there was no raw underground last week, but this guy, I guess, just assumed that, it would be back on this week. And he didn't, I guess he went to the website and saw that they had nothing announced for raw as of like Friday. So he just saw, Oh, raw underground's got to be happening this week. I mean, the way they book last minute, I don't think he would know until I mean, maybe he just, he took a gamble here. Seven o'clock. Yeah. Uh, but you know, so the fact that they did mention raw underground here specifically, I mean, does indicate that it'll probably make its return. Yes. I, I think once they feel they're in the clear to use uh students and such again, uh, they'll, like that that's a very tough segment to do uh coming off of this whole crisis and everything of in a small area too where you're putting all these uh PC students in there or, or NXT people in there uh it's smart not to be doing this segment now mm-hmm. Pierce says that you're not on raw so I can't give you an official match but I can give you an exhibition what does that mean which I swear to god was our conversation last week about Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier, and you asking me, what the hell does that mean? I said that, yeah, exactly. Um, So that means the, this match was for charity. Yes, I don't know what charity they were, they raised any funds for, but um, Keith Lee walked up and told Adam to sign me up. Yep. What a what a way around this! Bra- How did it take this long to just break the brand split like this? We have exhibition matches. You can do any match you want now. Anyone can show up on any show and do an exhibition match, which had a strange resemblance to a regular match. Well, they didn't never state it, but I mean, uh, in storyline, an exhibition match would mean that they're not getting paid, right? Yes, that's true. So, um, okay. so they could still do it, of course, but yeah. Uh, it's really dumb to do it. Like you're out, you're like dumb, Ron man. drove in gas money, maybe, I mean, food, maybe accommodations, uh, no insurance, all, the, all these things he didn't take into account. Yeah. So Murphy is upset. Rollins yells at him and Rollins says, I apologize to no one. 
And it's Murphy that should be apologizing to me. And he gives Murphy a deadline. He has until 10 p.m. to apologize. So instead of our underground, we had Will Murphy apologize to Seth Rollins. Yep. Same hook. That was the hook. They also landed an exclusive interview with Drew McIntyre coming up later. They got him. (laughs) What a get. Kevin Owens show. Owen says, I'm usually excited to host this show. And he starts talking. Listen, uh, all credit to Kevin Owens. He, he tried his damnedest to make this work. His impact from the fiend. But my God, if there's one character, I don't want to see have to sell the hocus pocus of the fiend. Kevin Owens is up there. I totally agree with you. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily like, you know, just say that based on like the dude's you know, very good acting ability alone. Like certain characters are just better suited for different types of things. And Owens, I think, has always been, you know, somebody who excels at making things feel real, much like something, somebody like a Randy Orton. Whereas like, like John Cena was tremendous doing this fiend stuff, you know, for somebody like him, it actually works. So, uh, but yeah, I agree. I, I didn't think Owens was a very good fit here at all. You could tell he wasn't really taking it. Like it's hard to, to, for me to buy that he actually buys it. Yeah, I didn't think he bought it, but I think he was trying his hardest to make this work. Um, He said, when the fiend touches you, you change. They replay the segment, and he describes the pain of the mandible claw. He says he was paralyzed. And I'm not sure what it is with all these dark, tortured souls. With Aleister Black, I mean, who's going to show up next week? The Brood? The Ministry of Darkness? He wants to have a chat with Bray Wyatt. So the Firefly Funhouse shows up on the screen and Bray, I will say this. I, th- I thought Bray was pretty, pretty fucking funny in this segment. He starts it by saying, bonjour, mon ami, because you see Kevin is French. He said that Kevin is his new friend who he can play ball with, have sleepovers with, or bury a body in the woods which I think is what every babyface fears when they work with this guy. Then Bray starts singing, friends are very special. And this dude, I'm sorry, th- this was hysterical when he was singing this song. I couldn't help but enjoy this. He asks Kevin to sing. Kevin is not going along with this. He will not be brainwashed, and he wants Bray to come down to the ring. Bray says that Owens has no idea what he got himself into. This Friday on SmackDown, you'll know. And Owens is not going to wait until Friday. He's going to find Bray. But as he storms up the stage, out pops Aleister Black, who lays him out with the black mass. And that's the end of Kevin Owens tonight. I will say this. The positive I took from this segment is that you dedicated this whole bit to promoting a match on Friday. And I did like that fact. Like there is uh, something you were being driven to rather than just doing 15 minutes of back and forth jokes and comedy and uh, oh, woe is me. So we, at least we have a match at the end of this, but not a smooth fit for Kevin Owens. No, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, and not a smooth fit for The Fiend, too. You know, I think Fiend feuds are the best when he he can get really personal with his opponent's personal lives or histories. And I I don't sense that at all with this Kevin Owens program, if you can even call it a program. It's only really been a week and, you know, a one uh, the end of a segment. So whether or not, like, it ends on Friday or if they have continued plans with it leading into the pay-per-view. I'm really not sure, 
but I continue to feel like this is maybe just a last minute change for the fiend rather than something that they might've had planned for him for a while. Just it, everything about it to me, like screams like this is, you know, kind of last minute, like bringing Kevin Owens from raw specifically to SmackDown while Owens himself has this Aleister black program going on. Um, Jay Uso perhaps getting another, you know, main event opportunity against Roman Reigns. So, I, I I have to say, like, it feels like a bit of a rush job, and to me, it's not very compelling. I think this is Bray Wyatt slash The Fiend's first match on TV since he introduced The Fiend. Is that right? Okay. It's all been pay-per-views, house shows, or dark matches. I'm pretty sure. So I wonder if that means anything to people. that he They certainly didn't make that any kind of... Uh, uh, they didn't promote that fact in the lead up to this on Friday. Yeah. Which I would wonder if people are even aware of that. I don't know if it's that big a deal, but um, yeah, I think, I think this is like limited to TV and maybe doesn't even go beyond Friday. Yeah. Interesting. Then. Okay. Charlie gets her exclusive. She's got Drew McIntyre and he accepts the hell in a cell match for October 25th. And he's going to send Orton straight to hell. So we have Roman Reigns versus Jey Uso and Drew McIntyre versus Randy Orton in the two cell matches, do you think we get a third? I think that's too much. Um, certainly they can justify doing something like uh, Bailey and, and Sasha in the cell, but... Maybe I, they don't need the cell. I don't think so. Um, I think that's a program you can extend to a Survivor Series, so, you know, the cell almost feels too, fi- uh, too final, and I think three is too much. No, Survivor Series is where they have to team up again for the brand versus brand uh, stuff. Of course, right, yes. Got to get to that. Our exhibition match, Braun and Keith Lee. Tom Phillips notes this will not count against their win-loss record. Follow-up question, Tom. What are the win-loss records of anyone on this show? <laughs> you have to get a cage match for that. Braun drop kicks Keith Lee and sends him to the floor. And then he stopped on the floor, but Lee gets sent into the steps and they're counted out in a minute 13. Now, I rewound this twice and I'm fairly certain this is what Braun said, but I could be corrected. Braun looks at the ref and yells, you're going to count me out after I come over here and draw ratings? (laughs) So we'll find out. Maybe this guy will prove to be the... Two million viewer man. Has he drawn ratings? I mean, on Raw Underground. Um, I mean, we what? What do we have? We have that that Dabakato that that week. Him and Dabakato. Uh, I I can't remember what the breakdown was in the third hour, but that that show was up that week, or at least uh, did much better than expected. And that was one of the few things they promoted ahead of time was him and Dabakato. Oh, so maybe he's got a case. Yeah. So maybe he's the. Uh, did you check the Nielsen's last week? He's the demo brawn. Demo brawn, okay. Hmm. So they, up until this point, this looked brutal for Keith Lee, but thankfully they gave him some more here. Keith Lee gets knocked through the barricade and into the video wall. Lee then gets to his feet and he jumps off the steps, attacking brawn. They go up the stage. Braun is sent into the LED boards and then tackles brawn off the stage as the two men plunge to their demise. So, yeah. Um, I, this was like our yearly Braun uh, destroying the set angle. Like he, him and Lashley did this last year. 
So this was the two monsters killing each other, and I think they're going to end up on the same brand. That's my hunch. Oh, you think so? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Strowman's really another one who they really prematurely drafted, it seems, to Raw. Um, I mean, it could be that, or it could be Keith Lee moving to SmackDown, but I, I almost have a feeling it would be, probably be Strowman staying on the show. I think it's a good follow-up program for both guys, uh, but one I definitely hope Lee ultimately wins. You know, If, if Lee ultimately won a program against Braun Strowman, it would be huge for 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 Keith Lee. Uh but at the same time like can I see them having Strowman lose so quickly after like losing the title and still kind of being fresh off of like, you know, losing a title? Um it's definitely one that I think is a bit interesting, but I mean the right direction would be Keith Lee. Yeah, th- this will really tell the tale of where they're at with Keith Lee. I mean, he came in, you could see he was a big deal coming in, but this they did a terrible job in this first month with Keith Lee. I get the sense like they still are behind this guy, um, but I don't th- think it's terrible yet, John. Like terrible would be like he's you know hanging out with like Ricochet and and Apollo Cruz, um, losing to the Hurt Business. That'd be terrible. Yeah. There's more. There's farther for him to sink. Well, that that's a wonderful caution. That it could be worse. Um, Drew Gulak has his twenty four seven title. And he's going to write about this in his book. And he notes that the lesson is to always be alert. When R-Truth appears in a dumpster, which is the perfect metaphor for this entire division, Gulak trips over a garbage bin where Akira Tozawa is inside the garbage bin. They end up in the dumpster, all three of them. The referee counts three and R-Truth emerges with the title and leaves the building. I just continue to think back to like, man, like maybe six months ago where like Daniel Bryan like worked so damn hard to like rehab this Drew Gulak into like a very serious, you know, he was being treated as like a coach, his coach, you know, an expert in submission wrestling. And he did a very good job and had a brand new persona about him. And now the guy signs a new contract with the WWE and he's being resurfaced as just another 24 seven guy doing comedy bits inside dumpsters. It's, um, you know, I know jobs are kind of tough to come by in this you know, current environment, but man, like the guy should be doing so much better. Yeah. I, I hope they don't even link Brian back with Gulak when, when he comes back, it's just Brian is, they, they need people. They, they need stars badly. Do not attach him to the, the, this this shit. Like Brian is too valuable, and let's be honest. Like attach they, Brian to the twenty four seven title? No, I don't think that's happening. No, attach him to Gulak. Oh, um, right. Like I I just don't think that that link worked. Like that has brought Brian down. And let, let's be honest. Like Brian, he he has not been like he's been a solid middle of the card performer. He should not be middle of the card. It's it, to me if he's coming back. He needs to be in a prominent spot, and he was not in a prominent spot over the last year. I think that much, you know, th- that would probably depend on how how much of a re- regular he wants to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, like this year with like his wife's pregnancy, that was probably up in the air. Uh, but when he's ready to make a full time return, will that change? Uh, we'll, we shall see. Hey, you also missed the Bianca Belair uh, segment. Uh- Man, I totally missed this. So, what, what was the vignette? So, I mean, I think the first week it was what, like, she's the strongest. Last week it was she was the fastest. This week, she's the smart test. And to show off her smarts, she 
is gathered with a couple friends and they're playing like some form of like trivial pursuit. I mean, if you recognize this game, then great. I don't know what it is, whatever. It's some sort of like trivia game. And she just answers all the questions. And we don't even know what the questions are. She just like, you just see a, you know, basically a a succession of answers where she sounds really smart. And I, what I got out of this was that not only is she the strongest, fastest, smartest, she might also end up being the loneliest person in the world because she seems miserable to hang out with. She just like takes takes all these questions and just like her friends were not having fun at all. Wow. I, I want I want them to do the vignette where she throws the football and then does the the Mr. Perfect and just sprints to the end of the uh, of the field and catches her own throw and she is the perfectionist. Ooh. I would love that. Like I really want them to go all out with like these these types of things. Like they kind of had that last week where like she let the the two people like start off with a giant head start in the hurdles and she ended up winning anyway. But I want them to take it even farther. Like have her um I don't have know. Have her do cool shit. Like man, superhuman uh, stuff, you know? Like out outrun a car or something, you know what I mean? Like what what 12-year-old girl is sitting down and be like, "Oh my god, it's Bianca Belair. It's the girl who knows trivia." Like, <laughs> come on. Have like she's a super athlete. Let let's see some cool stuff here. I don't want her answering questions. Wow, look. I bet she would kill at W5H. Reach for the top. W5H. Starring Bianca Belair. Didn't you do W5H? I did reach for the top. Uh, what's W5H? It's pretty much the same thing. You'd have, it was like, you would have your school team uh, <coughs> captain, uh, <laughs> and you would be on a team of five, and you would face other schools, and it would be a tr- trivia contest. W5H, is that the one where like you, you answer questions about like fashion? <laughs> it's, it's where they multiply into five of them. Yeah. <laughs> All the answers are this fucking guy. I, I didn't even think of that. W5H. <laughs> that Debbie is wrestling name. Or his finisher. <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right. God. Who was... Name all of the presidents. Let, let me tell you about this. These <laughs> fucking presidents, okay? Every single one of them was fucking corrupt. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Anyway. Uh, we, we move on here. We we have we've got a slew of <laughs> Bianca Belair vignettes uh, to to come. So at nine thirty p.m., we were halfway through Raw and we had gotten ten minutes of wrestling at this point. Did it feel like that? It did feel like that. Um, at the same time, like I wasn't really complaining because I all the wrestling you did see, I didn't think was all that compelling at all. Like there are no storylines at this point. Like I said, felt like the last day of school. Let's just kind of get it over with and leave early. The Hurt Business came out, and MVP said that he didn't lose last week. He did. He says that Ali, Cruz, and Ricochet are talented, but they never win the fight. And they would not have won last week without Retribution interfering last week. Interfering with their logos, which set up a commercial break, if you recall. I mean, would have thrown you off of your game to uh, have the lights go out all of a sudden. Like, if the lights went out in the middle of this podcast, I don't know if I'd be able to continue the same way. MVP prepares to tell Teabag to prepare to fold while you guys dress up for Halloween. We are what nightmares are made of. 
So we got the best babyface promo of the night from the top heel group. I love that he called him Teabag. And I mean, I'm sure that, that was stick. planned. I'm sure that was planned. Uh, by the way, everybody, his name is T-Bar in case we all forgot. Um, I, I, I certainly uh, probably, you know, that was certainly planned. But I would love it if somehow that was like just a great Freudian slip. and <laughs> called him Teabag on TV by accident. Yeah. Get a Vince McMahon Googling. Hell did he just call him teabag for? It's not British. <laughs> Ali, Cruz, and Ricochet come out. And they laugh about them being scared by a logo on the screen last week. Ricochet says, You asked us a question earlier tonight, and I I don't want to keep you waiting for an answer, so it's a pass. And MVP says, you're making a mistake. Cachet says, how so? And MVP said, this promo. <laughs> he says, you will be on the business end of some hurt. And Ricochet says, we're not running away from you. So we got a tag match with Lashley and Shelton against Ricochet and Apollo Crews. Featuring the countdown clock. The countdown to apologize countdown for murphy to apologize out of context this would sound like the least violent pay-per-view coming up in 20 minutes the can't the road to apologize tonight two men step into the ring one will apologize yes um paul apologize apologize uh apologize yeah. bonanza yeah yeah. Be, uh, it'd be Apollo's new last name. Apollo Chise. <laughs> oh, wonderful. <laughs> this is where my head's at at this show. They, uh, they were really banking on this apology to like, like be a big hook for, for 10 o'clock. And they really didn't want you to forget, hey, in case you were about to go to bed early, Murphy is about to apologize. He might not. We'll find out. Uh, man. Uh, Ali and uh, Ali and MVP are on the floor in the corners. Ricochet and Cruz are getting beaten to a pulp early on, but then they fight back. Ricochet super kicks Lashley, then gets spun off Lashley's shoulders. Cruz is the legal man, goes for a military press, and it's stopped. Benjamin gets hit with the released German, but then Lashley's in, goes for the spear. Cruz with the leapfrog, and then Cruz is slammed down, and he applies the hurt lock. And Apollo submits... At nine minutes and 45 seconds. And then the man has given me some great quotes this year after that 365, but nothing topped this one as Ricochet is on the floor and yells to MVP and the Hurt Business. <laughs> it ain't over until you're tired of us. <laughs> oh, God. That's... It ain't over till you're tired of us. We will get beat every single week. I was like, man, these... These baby faces, like they're something, the rubber had to meet the road. And thank God it did with at least one of the members tonight. Because this Ricochet Apollo Cruz dynamic, holy Christ. Losing Paul Heyman was the worst thing for those two. Uh, you could definitely see just the tra trajectory of Apollo Cruz just sink right after that happened. Oh, and instantly. Man. Like, I, you know, coming off of, um, what is it, Payback, and then coming off of Clash of Champions where Apollo Cruz lost both times. I mean, you, you knew where it was going, but at the same time, I think I held out a bit of hope that at the end of this entire storyline, Cruz would somehow still come out on top, or at least the team would come out on top. 
you know, by gathering some help. Last week, there looked to be a spark of hope when they brought in uh, uh, Mustafa Ali, ended up getting a victory. Uh, but of course, as we'll go on to talk about on this show, I don't think that was meant for them at all. Um, that was meant strictly for Ali and seeing how Cruz was booked here. They've completely killed him. Like, I don't see how he he would be able to come out on top at the end of this at all. Even if he did win the championship back, I didn't, I think it would be meaningless. He's tapped up so many times to this hurt lock. Um, just get him off this show. Get him off. Send him. Send him to NXT. Send him to the main event. You know, like it's he's done. It ain't over until you're tired of us. Murphy finds Aaliyah. She's been waiting all night to speak with him. Murphy apologizes to her. So they already gave away an apology before the countdown was up. She says, it's not your fault, but you need to be worried about Seth. And then she says, you're not thinking of apologizing, are you? Murphy is so conflicted. The Hurt Business are met by a Mustafa Ali backstage and Ali wants to take on all three of them tonight. He's going to start with MVP, move on to Lashley, and then to Shelton. Tom Phillips admires his moxie. Hmm. Yep. Seth Rollins comes out for his apology, along with Murphy. Murphy, Murphy uh, topped Ricochet here when it came to the conflicted look. He told Murphy that he was plucked from obscurity and I saved your career. I mean, that was kind of like his story of getting plucked from 205 Live to be put on Raw. So um, he grabs him by the beard. He was already on Raw. I'm saying when when they put him on Raw, they oh. were plucking him from obscurity. But yeah, that predated the Murphy-Rollins alliance. He's demanding Murphy apologize, but Murphy is not going to break. Murphy then executes a takedown on Rollins, and they start fighting. He tackles Rollins onto the desk, and then he gets the kendo stick. But it's taken away. He hits Rollins with it and demands that Rollins apologize to Aaliyah. And Rollins is apologizing and cowering away from Murphy before he goes for Murphy's eyes. And there, the kendo stick is on the ground. Rollins takes the stick and starts to beat the shit out of Murphy. When he gets a chair, Aaliyah runs in. And following Aaliyah... Are everyone's favorite family. Out comes Ray, Angie, and Dominic. And I have now moved on to my, my favorite person when it comes to dialogue, and that is one Dominic. Are you serious? Are you kidding me? He just looks at Aaliyah with this puzzled look. Why? What's the need? Remember what he's doing to us. Look at Dad's eye. What are you thinking? They just berate this girl. And they all take off. And Murphy is just flatlining in this ring. And he's just left there. Your Dominic is like scarily accurate. Like I can close my eyes. And like that's exactly how that dude sounds. Wait, are you serious, Way? <laughs> are you kidding me? What's the need? <laughs> A Dominic AJ Styles program, I think, would be everybody, every listener's dream. Oh, dude, they're building up to Dominic versus Aaliyah. Losers out of the family. Yeah, so this happens to be the next chapter. I mean, they see, they're see they seemingly confirming some sort of relationship between Aaliyah and Murphy. Um, and, uh, yep, this continues. Yeah, I, I, 
I don't know if this week was like this was supposed to be like a big moment, you know, like Murphy's been like getting berated this entire summer ever since he's been with Rollins. And I feel like I'm supposed to want Murphy to like lash out and like, you know, punch back at Rollins a whole lot more than maybe I did. I I personally never really felt that. To me it was like, okay, of course he's, you know, hitting back Rollins, but I didn't really feel that like, man, finally, you know, like yeah, give that guy what he deserves type of thing. I was like I was more like, are you serious? Are you kidding me? <laughs> What's the need? Uh I I did think Murphy was was pretty good in, in the segment and it does feel like it, it this has come somewhat quick. I mean, they've they've teased us. I can't say it's been coming super out of nowhere. But it does feel like Rollins and Murphy is our detour. Because uh, I'm imagining Ray is like, they don't want to tease that match now. Like, it seems that this could be the match for Hell in a Cell. It's Rollins and Murphy just in a straight-up match. Unless, uh, you know, someone's eye is at stake or whatever. So who do you win? Who do you have win? Um, Maybe it's a case where Aaliyah throws in the towel. I guess he just did that with Jimmy Uso, so maybe that'd be too soon. But uh, something where you have to get Aaliyah involved. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. This seems to extend it. Um, okay. Yeah, let's see where it goes. Shayna Baszler and Nia Jax were back this week after being off from Clash of Champions and last week's Raw to defend the titles against Ruby Riot and Liv Morgan. Immediately, Morgan goes for Jax's knee, and then Riot puts Morgan on her back and dumps her on top of Jax, who uh, immediately comes back and just starts destroying these two. She reluctantly tags in Baszler, and Baszler stomps on Riot's elbow. Baszler just dominates Ruby. She destroys the arm and shoulder, and the announcers are very good to bring up the the shoulder injuries that kept Ruby Riot out for all that time. She is getting destroyed in this. She finally makes the tag to Liv Morgan, and Morgan does her big... uh, Ricky Morgan comeback here after the hot hmm. tag. And that includes uh, somersaults into both corners with clotheslines until she rolls into a lariat by Nia Jax. Jax headbutts her and then r- tags out. And even Byron asks, why would you tag Ruby? She's got one arm. This was uh, putting a lot on Ruby here and it didn't work out so well. She tried for the riot kick, but got distracted, allowing uh, Baszler to nail her with a knee strike and apply the Kirafuda clutch and choke out Ruby in 10 minutes. And then she wouldn't let go of the submission, so Liv had to force Baszler off of Ruby, and the champions defend their titles. I thought the riot squad worked really hard here. You could tell, like, I mean, this was a match they were taken very seriously because it seems like they don't really get too many. Uh, unfortunately, I thought Shayna came across really well as well. She was great. Yeah, her style is just like, you know, it's so different from everybody else, and I think she makes it look so real in a division that greatly needs, like, so, you know, people to to make things look like they really, really hurt. And I think she does that tremendously. So I thought it was a pretty good TV match, but unfortunately, by this point, a pretty cold, almost non-existent feud. So I, I mean. Still can't really tell like whether or not I should be cheering or booing Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Um, again, no real sign of like dissent between the two anymore. They're just like they're just a cohesive unit. I mean, they did a little bit of it where Jax was kind of reluctant to tag her in, but they're very much. 
Like, I don't even mind it so much that this division is so thin that I don't think it's the worst thing that you have this, this dominant team that can kind of work with baby faces or heels, depending on the situation that, I mean, this division is just so thin that you just need champions that are versatile. So they, they do need to restock this division somehow with some teams. I guess Dana Brooke and Mandy Rose are probably the team they're, they're grooming next. Yeah. There's no one else. Mm-hmm. Street Profits did a promo. They're teaming with Drew McIntyre. So, of course, that means Braveheart references. And Drew walked in telling them the smoke is all theirs. He's going to kick the crap out of Randy Orton. MVP versus Mustafa Ali. MVP begins by annihilating him. MVP then gets sent to the floor and all three enter the ring. Uh, This is Shelton Benjamin and Bobby Lashley with MVP and the lights begin to flicker and the dreaded Retribution logos appear on the screen. And suddenly Retribution surround the ring, or we should say the male members, because we did not see Mia Yim or Mercedes Martinez. But this was the return of T-Bar, Mace, and uh, Slapjack. Slapjack, right. Mm -hmm. Then we see Mustafa Ali have to decide who am I going to align with? And he stands with the hurt business and then decides to go to the floor and walks right up to T bar and mace. But then in a scene right out of the ECW invasion in 2001, where they all turned, it was the physical wall on the WWE guys. Here was Mustafa Ali turning and aligning with retribution and the keywords that we'll remember years from now for this hot angle getting officially started. Get them. And they all attack the Hurt Business. T-Bar attacks Lashley, runs him into the steps, and they all stand with Ali. And they made it crystal clear. The commentators had some enormous insight. They knew without a shadow of a doubt He is the leader of this group, and Ali has been the one behind all of this. This was a lot of on-the-scene reporting from Samoa Joe and Byron Saxton to officially anoint Mustafa Ali, the leader of Retribution. Well, wouldn't it make sense that a hacker would be able to get into these TV feeds and LED boards? Yes, and you should explain that, but he was never revealed as the hacker, so they do have to piece that together. No, oh, I don't even know if they ever will. I just, I was just trying well, they, to make it. Well, there's it a joke. natural, like, they should reveal him as the hacker because that has no payoff. This should be the announcement that he was the, the, the hacker. He's the mastermind. Why not? Sure. Yeah, bring that back. Um, I definitely didn't see this coming. I, 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 I yeah, think because he, you're familiar with Mustafa Ali, the guy right. on this roster who you go up and down and say, who'd be the best heel in this in this company? Mustafa Ali. There's a guy that screams heel. Well, more Which, importantly, I, I think the, the, the for me, the main contention in never considering something like this is that I never thought that they would ever consider Mustafa Ali for this big of a role. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen this guy just be given very little in this company, really fight to just be taken like be put on TV uh, at, at all. And maybe seeing this tells, gives you a bit of an idea why they might've held off on him for so long. But then again, maybe not. Maybe they just like, cause who knows when they would have even come up with retribution. You know, what did it coincide with the time when he was off, t- off TV? Either way, this is certainly 
a big push for Ali. It's the biggest role he's Huge. had in the company thus far. Um, it allows him to be taken seriously as the leader of a faction. He's no longer just a cruiserweight. He's no longer just a guy hanging out with Ricochet and Apollo Crews. It allows him to cut promos. And I think with his background, with the way he's able to talk, the the very kind of like, um, you know, on the fence, politically motivated types of promos that they might be looking for for this group, he is going to excel at. So it's a chance to make this group a lot more serious than perhaps they've been so far. And it's a chance for Ali to really perform. So I, I'm very excited to see where this goes. And this kind of, to me, like babyface is the hurt business. Absolutely, it does. And I think it answers that question too. Like, why were they mm-hmm. babyfaces here, but they were heels against, uh, I guess, Rick, uh, Ricochet and, and Bobby Lashley and Mustafa Ali? Well, it turns out, at least in Ali's case, he is actually heel. So the other question is, were do Ricochet and, and Bobby Lashley, or sorry, and Apollo Crews follow to join Retribution or the Hurt Business? The re- Retribution. Mm. I don't I think so. About that. No, it would like haven't they been in scenes where they fought Retribution? Uh, probably. Whatever. But at this point, yeah, I, I, I think Ali still has, like, you know, he's still kind of mysterious. Like, he still has a bit of a cool edge. You haven't seen him lose a whole lot. Um, I think Retribution... Then, I, there's also... Uh, Retribution sorely needs, like, a serious, like, leader to, to be in front. So this, I think Ali, a significantly better spokesperson than T-Bar. Yeah, with T-Bar, it's almost, like, very comic-like. But it turns out maybe T-Bar is just more of, like, sort of the... um. The, like the, the evil Uno of the group, I suppose. Like the leader before the actual leader steps in. Okay, so we've got... Uh, who, Ali, who's the leader? Ali and Brody Lee. Look at that, yeah. two Lees. Bro, Brody Ali, yeah. No, the other... Uh, co- what do you think Ali's new name's going to be? Does he have to get a new name? Um, of course he does. Everybody's got a retribution name. Uh... He's from Chicago, right? So he should be deep dish. Deep dish. dish. Okay. I was going for like ill something for Illinois. Um, Yeah. Deep dish. Okay. That's fine. No, no. Okay. Just. (laughs) I have no idea. No, I'm really, I'm really hoping they give him a cool name because like. um, I hope they don't give him a name to be honest. True. That would be the Like honestly, I was kind of hoping like this. And maybe they can still do. I, I do. Th- I don't think they're going to like drastically change the group, but I think this is an opportunity to maybe like ditch some of the campiness. The names would be at the top of the list, but it's like these, like this Mace and T Bar and and goddamn Freddie F- Friday the Thirteenth in the background. Like I don't know. This thing could really use like a bit of a reboot now that Ali is the leader, and maybe they can uh, ditch like the masks and stuff and. Make them a little more uh, uh, human. The the masks are, I think, like something that they're going to stick with. It's kind of what's what's made them stand out. And in fact, like Ali used to wear a mask himself. So if anything, I could see him adopting it again. Um, I just, you know, I hope, of course, like like you know, I've, you've heard Ali talk about many times in the past, like just the idea of like doing a very stereotypical terrorist type of thing. Like I hope they stray away from that, and I hope they make it realistic. I hope they make it respectful. And I hope they just, you know, make him uh, the complex, complex character that I think he really should be. Yeah, we'll see where this goes. But, you know, on this day, I mean, he is the 
the leader of like, oh, what is the top program on Raw? So mm. uh, after the break, yeah, they explain that he's the leader behind all of this. And then we go to the main event, uh, six-man tag, Drew McIntyre and the Street Profits against Orton, Rude, and Ziggler. Um, <laughs> presented by Burger King, the Whopper and nothing but the Whopper. No colors, flavors, or preservatives from artificial sources. If that sentence doesn't make your mouth water for a goddamn hamburger from Burger King, I don't know what does. Mmm, I can't even taste the colors, flavors, or preservatives that may have came from artificial sources. Sounds like you're really, like, risking your life by having one of these. Um... <laughs> the Whopper. It's 2020. What's the worst that could happen? <laughs> They're delicious, though. I haven't had a Whopper in probably a decade. Whoppers or Big Macs or neither? Uh, I would... I, I've had the occasional Big Mac. Wow, you... Uh, hello, Bianca Belair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we get the RKO attempt that's blocked early by Drew. This is really a come down after, like, your angle earlier. Um... But they had a big ending to this. Uh, Six Man was fine here. They go through the break. Uh, Drew gets Orton. Then is jumped by Rude and Ziggler. Uh, to go to the break, Ford hit the big Topicon hero. Uh, Dawkins is tagged in, but the anointment is countered. Uh, do you like the name The Anointment? It sounds like it's ointment. Ointment, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what I think of every time. I think like of a rash every time Tom Phillips calls this thing. Um, it's a pretty bad so name. Yeah, the anointment is countered by Ziggler's DDT. Orton hits a draping DDT to Dawkins. Then Dawkins hits the anointment, followed from from the heavens onto Orton. Ziggler and Rude make the big save. And then there's a Famouser. Drew gets tagged. Claymore Ziggler. Claymore is Rude, but then turns around and Orton hits the RKO. And Orton pins McIntyre in 10 minutes, 17 seconds, a rare pinfall on Drew McIntyre as Orton goes off the air with the victory and into Hell in a Cell. thought this was a good match uh, and a good logical finish. You know, Orton is in need of rehabbing after the, the title loss uh, in the ambulance match, so this gets him uh, set up right for the role for uh, to challenge Drew again at the Hell in a Cell. And that's our last Raw before the draft. Did you watch this show and think of anyone that is at the top of the list that you can see leaving Raw? Based on tonight's booking. You mean like staying on Raw after like already jumping? What? So on Friday's show, it's going to be people drafted to SmackDown, correct? There won't be anyone leaving SmackDown on Friday. Yeah, it'll probably be uh, people going. I actually don't know. What did they do last time? Wasn't it back it was and like... forth? It was back and forth. Dude, I'm sorry. Um... Yeah, no, last week it was back and forth because you had the war rooms. And so... You'll probably get a bit of both, I would think. Unless okay. they change it. Well, okay, well, anyway, on Raw tonight, I mean, I, I could see certainly Strowman and Keith Lee ending up on the same show together, whether it be Raw or SmackDown. I guess you could do either. I'm um, thinking Raw, because like, like Strowman's already moved there. Keith Lee is relatively new on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, um, honestly, it could be anybody. That's the thing. Like, I, I don't see, like, of the big names on this show, uh, Drew McIntyre, Randy Orton, I don't see either of them moving. Yeah, let's talk about big names, okay? On SmackDown, do you see 
Roman. No, no. I think Roman staying put on SmackDown. I think Drew staying put on Raw. Um, How about AJ Styles? AJ and Jeff Hardy are names. I don't know if both of them move. I can certainly see one of them moving. Maybe Jeff. Yeah, I could see that too. Um, Jeff's kind of exhausted all of the programs that he's done on SmackDown. He could use like fresh opponents on mm-hmm. on Raw. So I could see that one happening. Um, they just put the belt on Sami Zayn. Uh, I guess you, you could switch that if you want. How about Kevin Owens? Oh, man. Like, chalk that one down on, like, it doesn't matter. He's, like, the, he's the prototype of why people are not heavily invested in the draft. Because I think literally it's probably three or four names that would really grab people's attention to move. And I'm not expecting, like, the top names to move. Like, Rollins and Mysterio, they're not moving. Uh, like, a lot of these are in mid-programs now. It wouldn't make any sense to move them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, like Roll- like honestly, like Owens, like certain weeks, I can't even really tell you what brand he's on, and, and certainly, like it feels like every year that guy moves. Um, yeah, the Miz might get moved again because he gets moved every single one. Uh, I, you know, the, maybe they'll split John Morrison and and Miz. Um, I don't think I would do it, but they could split Ziggler and Rude. That could be again, very easy. Like they were barely together. Um, Matt Riddle, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Sure. This, this sounds exciting. Okay. Well, uh, let's go to your it's feedback. It's because it doesn't matter, John. That's like, it. I'm not. I'm not criticizing. Like, I don't think people are. You've. Like, I think at this point, you almost need to do keep rosters locked for like three years before you're going to have people's interest. Like, if you're going to do this every year, and in between we do the Survivor Series and we do exhibition matches and we do Raw Underground, like it's just it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Uh, even one of the big names, like Drew moving to SmackDown, it's like, okay, that's a major name moving, but it's um like it's not like you have all these dream matches on either side. Like whatever unique combinations there are, you've probably seen that 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 match at some point, or it's not all that interesting. Is Drew McIntyre and Jeff Hardy? Holy Christ. We haven't seen Drew McIntyre and Jeff Hardy before. Like, I don't know. It's you're you're kind of you're you're playing with like a deck of cards like that's what we're we're playing with here and mm-hmm. it's coming up with unique combinations and you've got to have some exciting stories it's not just pluck and move names over that that's going to generate people's interest like when this first draft the first brand split i mean they didn't do one of these drafts until almost like two years into it and even then you had done a lot of crossover and people showing up and um didn't keep the rosters separate either um so this one i think just people are not as I think people now overestimate like what kind of interest level the draft is going to have. Like last year, it was not a to me a big part of their year doing the switches. I think it's a good way to like see what the starting blocks are, you know, for for the upcoming season. Um, to me, there's still it, that still carries some excitement. So yeah, uh, but it's it's I I think it's kind of difficult to even really comment on it un, until we actually see the result. Mm-hmm. The most interesting ones are like if they. If they do anything with people that are off TV, like just right. for when they come back, like Daniel Bryan, Becky Lynch, uh, Charlotte, uh, you know, those are ones where, you know, they may not show up, but they could get drafted. And then you just know that they're coming to a new show when they do return. Mm-hmm. Okay. The forum, forum.postwrestling.com, 4.5 for tonight's episode of Raw. We begin with, you guessed it, Paul from New Jersey. Okay, he says, uh, this Seth Rollins stuff is hysterically bad. 
I still have no idea what the greater good is. What the greater good is. I don't know what this means. Pie boy? What does this mean? I'm not sure. Okay. I will just take the way approach and view this for what it is. Not sure what the point of the Braun Keith Lee exhibition was, but I guess you could say that for many things on Raw. I feel bad for Bianca Belair. That promo was cringe. I feel I really missed uh, on this promo. Ricochet shouldn't be allowed within 10 feet of a microphone. I like that Murphy stood up to Seth, and Ali is a great choice for the Retribution leader. Pointless show otherwise. Two out of ten. I miss the Iconics. Ways Cowboys suffer their first loss. No undefeated teams remain. So, wow, Way, you followed in the path of the A block. No one undefeated. Unfortunately, but, I mean, prior to this, I was like 3-0. and So, I'm still yet to watch my first football game ever. I have no idea what the hell is going on, but nice to see that... Um... At least I, I feel like I'm I'm still in contention. So, man, I love football. Alexander from Portland says, On a show where the WWE champion was pinned by the number one contender, we still couldn't get a finish to a Keith Lee match. Here's hoping the draft can freshen Lee up. Having all of his matches go nowhere is killing my interest. Bianca Belair seems like the worst person to play games with. Ricochet with a microphone should be a crime. Ali as a faction leader isn't a direction I'd have ever expected, but I hope they can hack it. Huh. No. Do we know the rules of the draft when it comes to factions? Can Raw use one draft pick to pick all six stable dates in Retribution? I would assume so. Yeah, but you shouldn't be assuming after tonight's show. They did nothing in terms of explaining the draft. Like, uh, God forbid you started watching WWE over the last six months. Like, do they just throw that out the window? You don't even know what this is. And maybe they feel like that's enough that you just know it's a draft. But to me, you miss out on a lot when you don't explain Things like that, like just how this is going to work, because that's going to amplify your interest in this by explaining it and what what could be at stake here. Like this could be the end of a, a tag team. This could be a group breaking up. This could be announcers moving shows like throw out all these possibilities that are going to you know get your mind racing of all the different things that could happen. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, was that not explained in the, in the video packages that they put together? The only constant is change. That's what they explained. Okay. Okay, from Anthony. So Retribution isn't Antifa. They're anonymous, and the hacker is their leader. This company really can't create organic, fresh, unique baby faces. Ollie is a great personal story that can relate to the audience and fans alike, but alas, alas, it's under. he's under six feet tall, and only turning him as a heel will get him over. Sorry, but I just don't trust this company. With their track record, track record revealing that the leader of their top invading faction is one Mustafa Ali without making this racist in some way. Sorry guys. I'm not on board with this. I certainly don't blame you for having those concerns at all. Um, I'm at least open to hearing what Ali's first promo sounds like to see what sort of direction that he takes this whole thing. I have trust in the performer. Um, so I, I'm very excited to see what he can do. Mm hmm. We go to Brian from New York who says, well, two weeks ago, I couldn't have been more down on retribution. And now the hacker is the leader. Did this save the angle? Not really. Am I suddenly willing to give it a shot? Begrudgingly, I guess. Touche WWE. Mustafa Ali is overdue for a major role. And even if I would have preferred it to be as a major babyface, they've at least given him a huge part in a pet project of the boss. He's a great talker. And while his off-camera story is an excellent good guy background, his on-TV story comes with a lot of baggage for what's supposed, what's happened to him since the Brian program and should give him a lot of ammo to shape a better focus to this aimless group. 
or at least until next week, when this small sliver of light for retribution is somehow given a terrible 2D explanation and any sort of excitement is thrown away. I guess we shall see. Um, that reminds me, you know, Brian just um, brought up how Ali uh, uh, how it certainly has a lot to talk about when he wants to talk about, you know, uh, people who have been neglected for opportunity and chances. And of course, his big story that he's always gone back to is the fact that he was supposed to, in his mind, he was supposed to have Kofi Kingston spot at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. Can we see Kofi Kingston get drafted uh, to potentially be a part of this program with Retribution? I think Kofi should be drafted to Raw. I think this is the draft where you should split Big E with Kofi and have them on separate shows. I would do that. And that's a great program for Ali to feud with Kofi. Certainly. Yeah. Good program for Kofi as well. And I think you still may like it doesn't you have to like convey that it does it's not necessarily a breakup of the new day. Uh maybe on pay-per-views you still see them together, but like it's the new day, new day splitting, you know, dividing and conquering. They could still come out to the same music. They're still aligned. They're just on different shows. Hmm. It'll be interesting. Or maybe Biggie moves too. Yeah, you could you could do that too. Um I, I think they I think they've really uh like Biggie, I think they've done a very good job the last two weeks, especially with uh his promos that he's cut. And he's got what does he have this Friday? The the Sheamus match, the Falls Count Anywhere match. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, the next time we are with you will be in a couple of hours because there's a G one show coming up. Uh, B Block, headlined by Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kenta. So we will discuss that on Tuesday afternoon for all Post Wrestling Cafe members. Then we're going to take a break. We're going to take a deep breath. And then it's the Rocky Three review. Sylvester Stallone versus Clubber Lang. And an exhibition match, John. That's right. Thunderlips did not get paid, although we'll tell you what he claimed he was paid for this role uh, as he takes on Sylvester Stallone slash Rocky Balboa in an exhibition match. So it's Rocky three coming up Tuesday night on the post wrestling cafe. And then we've got rewinded dynamite on Wednesday night after the, the Jericho 30th anniversary. A lot of stuff coming out and uh, a lot of, I think, interesting things to talk about. So I look forward to doing all of that. It's going to be a very busy week. Uh, Thanks to everyone uh, joining us, whether it be at postwrestling.com, postwrestlingcafe.com, Uh, We've got lots of stuff coming up this week, so check all of it out every last second. And that is it. We are going to get a few hours of sleep. Goodbye.